Greetings, everyone. I'm Jeffrey K. Lyons. We've got a loaded show today with conversations about the third Trump indictment and the coverage in the legacy media. Also notable are the voices of a small group called Blacks for Trump, which voiced their disappointment with special counsel Jack Smith. And in addition, we take a nostalgic look back at the 2016 presidential election, in which candidate Hillary Clinton graciously conceded to Donald Trump by declaring that he's an illegitimate president. All of this and a new feature of this program, which I'm going to call The Bigger Picture. So here we go with today's edition of Narrative Wars. I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons, and you don't want to miss this. We the people are sick and tired. Let's peel back the curtain of confusion to shed light upon the mainstream media madness. And now, Narrative Wars, with your host, Jeffrey K. Lyons. We the people are sick and tired, so tired. Well, welcome everybody. This is Narrative Wars, and again, I'm your host, Jeffrey K. Lyons. We're going to jump right into this first cut here. Now, this is regarding the third Trump indictment. And it looks like they just keep throwing this stuff against the wall and hoping that something will stick. Can anybody out there say election interference? Well, this is ABC News, August 1st, 2023. Former President Donald Trump has been indicted on charges related to special counsel Jack Smith's probe into efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Let's take a listen to this cut number one. Investigation of former President Donald Trump. A federal grand jury has now criminally indicted the former president out of the special counsel's investigation into his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. The 45 page indictment begins by saying the former president lost the 2020 election, knew he lost, and then for months spread lies that there had been outcome determinative fraud in the election and that he had actually won it. The indictment charges Trump with four counts conspiracy to defraud the U.S., conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, obstruction and an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding, and conspiracy against rights. All right, let's take a look at this. Now, a couple of notable things. First of all, Trump was indicted in a federal court, and this was in Washington, D.C., quote, in his efforts to overturn the 2020 election, according to this report. And according to the indictment, the indictment reads, quote, uh, that Trump knew he lost and then for months spread lies that there had been outcome determinative fraud in the election and that he had actually won it. Now, I don't know how they know that Trump knew he lost. I guess that Jack Smith is a mind reader. Uh, I was a university professor for 10 years, and I never knew what was in people's minds. We had a lot of great conversations in class. We had feedback regarding written exams. We also had not necessarily oral exams, but we had oral presentations. And so there was some evidence in terms of what they said and what uh, was presented in class, conversations, yes, But I never could read any of my students' minds uh, during my 
10 years of teaching at, at, at three different universities. And so it's kind of amazing how uh, Jack Smith apparently knows what is in Trump's mind. Another not notable point here is how can anybody know what's in anybody's mind? How can we be certain that Trump knew that he lost? His actions and his words show that he was doing the same thing that, oh, Al Gore did back in 2000. Wait a moment, that's, that's just inconvenient. That's an inconvenient truth. Uh, New York Times, November 26, the year 2000. Headline, Gore lawyers filed challenges to, to contest the election results. Well, it appears that in Gore's mind, Gore had not lost the election, and therefore he was filing challenges to the election. He was contesting the election in 2000. Now, I understand that some of you uh, may be younger in the audience, and you don't remember that contested election, but the information is all out there. Look, the people in the lamestream media want us to not do any research. They want us to just believe whatever they say or whatever. They want us to hear whatever they proclaim in the last seven days. And they don't want us to do any digging on our own. But fortunately, the interweb allows us to do some digging. November 26, 2000, Gore lawyers filed challenges to contest election results. Quote, as promised, lawyers for Vice President Al Gore's presidential campaign went to court today to try to overturn the declaration that proclaimed George W. Bush the winner of Florida's presidential election. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. All right. We're going to oh, wait a minute here. Wait a minute here. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, all right, flag on the field. You mean that Gore tried to overturn the declaration that proclaimed George W. Bush as the winner in Florida's presidential election? Remember, when you go back to that uh, election, it all came down to one state, and that was Florida. Whoever took Florida would have the sufficient amount of electoral votes in order to win the presidency. So it all came down to Florida. So I'm going to have to say, yeah, there it is. Okay, there's a, right there. Okay, there's a flag on the field, folks. Yeah, it's a flag on the field. And it, yeah, okay, it is very clear that this has happened in presidential politics in the past. So is Donald Trump doing anything different than Al Gore did back in 2000 when Gore contested the election and said that we got a problem here. I don't think that I lost the election. No, this is what we do in the United States. We have these conversations and we have the right to contest an election, even a presidential election. And there is precedent for this sort of thing. Hey, let's take a look at the U.S. Constitution, that, that pesky document. It says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of press. So we're saying that Donald Trump can't speak up. 
He can't do what Al Gore did back in 2000. He can't say, I don't believe this was a fair election. Uh, I believe there's a problem here. Suddenly, the United States Constitution and the, the freedom of speech is no longer in effect. Well, that's why we're saying right here at Narrative Wars, no, no, that's just not right. Take a look at this article. Another follow-up, The Atlantic. Now, this is August 16, 2016. Okay, so August, June, July, August, September, October, November. So approximately four months prior to the deciding election in November of 2016, which Trump won. Okay, so we're going forward in time. Follow me here. We're going forward in time from 2000. Gore lost the election, presidential election, to George W. Bush. And now we're going forward in time to all of the campaigning and the rhetoric that was taking place prior to the November 2016 election between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Okay, are, are we all together on that? Here's an article that came out at that time in The Atlantic. Now, The Atlantic is no bastion of right-wing thinking. It is no bastion of conservatism or even libertarian thinking. No, not at all, not at all. However, Trump was very upset with what the press was saying about him. And he was uh, saying this uh, phrase over and over. He was uh, saying that in the press, there's fake news, fake news. And he was saying there's lies in the press. You know, he was pushing back. He was pushed and he's allowed to do that according to the constitution of the United States, which we just uh, read. So in this article, the Atlantic does the first amendment protect deliberate lies August 16, 2016, what does the Atlantic say? Well, they stick up for the freedom of press. The idea that lies are part, quote, the ideas that lies are part of freedom of speech or of the press seems wrong. Lies, even lazy falsehoods, make finding the truth harder, erode mutual trust, and harm individuals and groups. Some can even lead to private violence or public disorder. Okay, yeah, I follow. And then they ask this question, why would free speech protect them? Who's the them? These are people that speak lies publicly, even falsehoods. Oh, no. The article goes on. Under U.S. law, many falsehoods, even some deliberate lies, receive, quote, the full protection of the First Amendment. That is true, even though there's no constitutional value in false statements of fact, as Justice Lewis Powell Jr. wrote for the Supreme Court in 1974. Nonetheless, the court has often refused to allow government to penalize speakers for mistakes, sloppy falsehoods, and lies. Polit now, I'm going to underline this, okay? The article goes on to state political lies are strongly protected. Did you, did you catch that? Political lies are strongly protected. They are. They are. And, and, and they, okay, enough of that, you guys. They, they, they are. And uh, 
look, there's no constitutional requirement that when the public speech occurs that you have to be stating something that is true or even accurate. The Federal Communication Commission, for example, they are not a censorship organization. What the FCC was formed for primarily is the issuing of licenses for radio and then later when television came along after World War II for television stations. Now, they do other things like uh, they regulate bandwidth in terms of uh, the auctions to, for bandwidth for telecom. But initially when FCC was formed, it was for licensing. But they've never been an organization. They've never existed in order to censor speech because this is protected under the Constitution. And the Atlantic argues for free speech, and even for the freedom to tell lies. And they cited in this article, August 16, 2016, and yet the same type of people, the same legacy media, the same left-wing media, now in 2023, the same people that back special counsel Jack Smith, oh, this is a terrible thing, Trump spoke lies, and it's a terrible thing that, that in his mind, he believed that he didn't lose the election. Well, Al Gore didn't believe he lost the election. In 2000, we continue. To summarize, Gore directed his lawyers to file a lawsuit to contest the 2000 election. Then, going forward to August of 2016, Atlantic Magazine, which we just read, they argue that there is full protection of First Amendment. In other words, that the press does not have to tell the truth and that this is protected free speech under the First Amendment. And thirdly, we jump again to August 1st, 2023. Trump is indicted in a federal courtroom for knowing spreading lies that there's been outcome determinative fraud in the election, and that he actually won it. And yet Gore did the same thing. He, he, Gore did the exact same thing in 2000 that President Trump is being indicted for in 2023. Do you see the double standard? Do you see the two tiers of just, justice here? So this is going to get thrown out of court. This is ridiculous, but... Of course, the object is not to win this case. The object is simply to get Trump off the campaign trail, to tie him up in court, to waste a lot of money, resources, time, energy, fighting court cases so that he can't go out there and campaign. Clearly, this is campaign tampering, campaign uh, interference. We continue with our next piece, which is Black Trump supporters stunned liberals outside the arraignment hearing. Well, in Washington, D.C., which uh, is not known as MAGA country, all right, of course, Black Trump supporters rallying outside the federal courthouse where the former president's uh, arraignment took place 
last week, Thursdays, this was a sight to behold and certainly a hard red pill to swallow for race-obsessed liberals who think racial minorities should only vote for a Democrat, i.e. Mr. Biden. Quote, you ain't black if you're a pro-Trump black voter. Well, these black voters would disagree with that statement. Let's get, take a listen to this. This is cut number two. I'm here to support Trump. So I'm here to show uh, Jack Smith that he's a punk. That's right. And that he's an ugly sellout. That's right. And I'm here to let him know that he's going to jail for treason. That's right. That's right. Him and Biden and Obama and all of the other suckers that are going against Trump for no reason. They, they want to parade the man that we call King Cyrus like they did in every other country. They, they'll conquer the country and parade the king around in handcuffs to humiliate us. But I'm here to testify that you will be humiliated. That's right. Because I'm here to humiliate you because you are a sellout and you are a person that is evil, breaking every rule of law. And the Bible says the sons of perdition must be revealed and moved out of the way. That's Trump right. is simply allowing them to reveal how they don't have to keep no law. Well, it is being revealed that they want to have a two-tier system of justice. We hear this over and over out there in the conservative blogosphere. We hear this on this term uh, in the alternative uh, media. And it's true. You can see it. It's, it's right there. We just went over it. Now, a couple of points here, additional points, is that the left-wing side of the political spectrum, these people hate it when minorities go off script. They hate it because they want black voters to vote in block. But this is, this is not what's happening this is not what's happening with uh, this group of uh, black Trump supporters. Well, aren't blacks are supposed to all think alike and vote for the Democrat candidate? Well, this is what Democrats expect of black voters. But this is freedom of speech and it's functioning here at its best. These courageous black men are standing up to support the candidate of their choice. They're calling out the hypocrisy of the left-wing Democrat Party. Listen, there was another courageous black leader who spoke the following words, and this was back December 3rd, 1860. You might have an idea who this person was. I'll let you know after I read this short quote. Liberty is meaningless where the right to utter one's thoughts and opinions has ceased to exist. That of all rights is the dread of tyrants. It is the right which they first of all strike down. They know its power. Frederick Douglass, December 3rd, 1860. And clearly, Jack Smith is a tyrant he is doing everything he can to silence President Trump's right to free speech. Nation.
Narrative Wars continues to expand its audience both in the United States and internationally. We're so thankful for you, our Narrative Wars listeners, and we know that you could choose to do other things with your time, and we want to honor your commitment to free speech and the American values that still make us all proud to be living in the land of the free and the home of the brave. You can follow us on Twitter and Getter by going to at Jeffrey K. Lyons. That's J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-K Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S. And for more information, visit our website at narrativewars.org. That's narrativewars.org. Also, when you listen to us on your favorite podcasting app, please five-star rate, follow, and tell two to three like-minded friends. We really appreciate that. That's how we continue to expand the Narrative Wars posse. We truly appreciate your support. You're the reason why we do this program. And now, let's continue our program. This next piece has to do with MSNBC News, uh, also affectionately known as MSLSD, uh, and it has to do with conspiring to ignore the Constitution and trying to get people to overthrow the Electoral College. Now, it's kind of a long piece, so we've broken it up into two pieces. Uh, first, we're going to hear about the indictment about Trump, and then secondly, we're going to uh, hear some more information uh, regarding celebrities and them weighing in on this issue. So uh, let's take a listen to this. This is Cut 3A. Chief legal correspondent Ari Melber. Ari, I've been receiving emails about this, people with tweets about this. Um, this is that bit of hope that Hillary Clinton supporters are holding on to. Fact from fiction. What happens here? Uh, what ha that bit of hope. Wait, does that mean that Hillary Clinton supporters want to overthrow the election? Huh. Okay, let's keep listening. What happens here is nothing. This is not going to change the outcome of the election. It is certainly an oddity of our democracy that in almost every race we count the ballots and give the victory to the person who has the most votes. Okay, we're just going to have to throw a flag on the field here. We are not a democracy. The United States of America is not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic. And we're going to dig a little deeper into that um, in this program, but just have to flag that right there because that was an untruth. That was a lie. But hey, it's okay because it's protective free speech. We continue. Except for the presidency, where often, as we see this year, as we saw in 2000, as we've seen in earlier races, the person with the most votes sometimes does not become president. In this case, by all accounts thus far, some counting still going on, Hillary Clinton. But here's why. If you look at a map across the country, 29 states under state law bind their electors and five of those states have actual criminal penalties for it so what that really means is those electors although it is a weird system are bound by state law to uphold the results of their state and that is why they have to stay with what happened in the state yeah well that is the system it's in the constitution of the united states hey if it's weird and you don't like it you can leave we can take up a collection and we can send you to, oh, Cuba, uh, Iran, and, and you can go enjoy. 
living in a few of those places. Well, a couple of the other things that are notable here. The host says that the United States has a peculiar system and hints that it's outdated and it's not up with the times. Well, notice he doesn't mention A, the Constitution, or B, the Electoral College. He's not doing anything to inform the public who's listening to this story that we have a Constitution and that we're supposed to follow it during the time that occurs every four years when we elect or re-elect a president. We continue. Notice that the host doesn't mention that the Republican form of government that we have is what exists in the United States. Remember, he says our democracy. Nowhere in the founding documents does it say we're a democracy. Well, let me just read from that pesky document, the United States Constitution. Article 4, Section 4, United States Constitution. It spells out that the way the United States of America selects a president and vice president is by the majority of electoral votes. This means that the contest is determined by electoral votes coming from the states. The contest never was a popular vote. Think of it this way, folks. We have in sports some good examples. In baseball, we have the World Series. Who wins the World Series? Well, it's the team that wins the most games. It's not the team that brings the most runs across the home plate. Another example, basketball. We've got NBA playoffs. Who wins those contests? It's the team that wins the most games. It's not the team that makes the most baskets or the most points. It's who wins the most games. And similarly, it's who wins the most electoral votes. That's who wins the presidential contest because counting of the electoral votes and the electoral votes are determined by the population of the states. Of course, there's some anomalies. There are times when the popular vote is higher for the losing candidate. And we're going to talk about that. If the contest was a popular vote, then the large states with the largest populations, they would have the most political power. And this is not the case in our Republican form of government. Remember, the United States of America is a constitutional republic. We're not a democracy. A democracy is a simple majority rules. And this is a perfect example of the United States of America not being a democracy. Article 4, Section 4, the U.S. Constitution. The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government. So, you're probably in the car, driving. Most people are when they're listening to this, but you might want to look that up later on when you're not driving. Article 4, Section 4, United States Constitution. The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion and on application of the legislature or of the executive. 
when the legislature cannot be convened against domestic violence. So there's, there's a lot in there to unpack. They're not saying in this that the Republican Party is in control of the United States of America. Remember, Republican Party is not what's being discussed here. It's a Republican form of government. In other words, we elect people to represent us. Those people go to state capitals. They also go to Washington, D.C. They represent us, and laws are passed. Interestingly enough, when you dig into the details, that um, the electors that represent every state, now they represent the people that the number in each state uh, equivalent to the senators and those serving in the U.S. House of Representatives, which is determined by population. That's why they do census every 10 years to determine the population of each state and determine how many uh, U.S. congressmen are in each state. Of course, senators stays the same every year, too, for every state, no matter if the state is small. So, having said all of that, the electors... Who, who vote and present their votes before the session in Congress prior. It's typically January 6th. But the point is those electors, the Constitution says, they cannot be people holding office. They cannot be elected officials. So that was very clever because they didn't want those electors to be politicians. They didn't want those electors to represent a political party. They didn't want those electors to be biased. They wanted them to simply carry out this one duty, which was to go to Washington, D.C. and represent their state and cast their votes based on the state vote for the president of the United States. Based on that vote, they're going to vote in Washington, D.C. So that is the system we have so if someone thinks it's uh, odd or strange, just read the Constitution. It's in there. It's nothing strange about it, nothing odd about it. We've been doing this ever since George Washington. We've had an electoral college, and it's been working pretty good. That's the system we have in, in play. And if somebody wants to change it, then there is a way to change that. But you have to change the Constitution of the United States, and you have to come up with an amendment, and you th there's a process for doing that. You can't just throw it out. Well, that's a good segue into our next cut, uh, cut number 3B here, where uh, this group of very intelligent group of people, celebrities, well, they're suggesting we just throw out the Constitution and the Electoral College. And the, the directions uh, that are stipulated in the Constitution, uh, we're just going to go around that and uh, forget how people voted. Just let the electors vote any way they want. Take a listen to this. Cut number 3B. You and just 36 other conscientious Republican electors can make a difference. By voting your conscience on December 19th. And thereby shaping the future of our nation. I'm not asking you to vote for Hillary Clinton. I'm not asking you to vote for Hillary Clinton. I'm not asking you to vote for Hillary Clinton. 
As you know, the Constitution gives electors the right to vote for any eligible person. Any eligible person, no matter which party they belong to. But it should certainly be someone you consider especially competent. Especially competent to serve as President of the United States of America. Okay, the Constitution doesn't give the electors the right to just, hey, I'll just uh, forget about the election that just happened and, and all the people in my state and, and how they voted. I'll just forget about that and I'll just vote any way I want. But that's what these celebrities say you can do. No, this is conspiracy to overturn the election. We continue. Any eligible person, no matter which party they belong to. But it should certainly be someone you consider especially competent. Especially competent to serve as President of the United States of America. Asking to vote for Hillary Clinton. Make that. Our group of Hollywood celebrities with that video to members of the Electoral College for Monday. Pleading with them to uh, vote against, well, vote their conscience. Let's put it that way, right? That's not how the system works in the United States of America. They don't get to just vote their conscience and vote any way they want. That's called anarchy. And this is what they're pushing at MSLSD. They're pushing anarchy, these celebrities. And that's election interference. So if Trump is guilty of thinking that he won an election in 2020, if he's guilty of saying that I don't agree with the election that happened in 2020 and I'm going to challenge it. If he's guilty of election interference, what about this group of loony celebrities who in 2016 wanted to overthrow the constitution and interfere with the election and convince somehow the electors that they should vote for someone else? than what is already prescribed in their state constitutions in terms of how those electors need to vote. So just, yeah, forget about all of that. So they must have thought that the electors are, are just a bunch of morons and that because I'm a celebrity and I was in a movie and look at me, you have to listen to me. So, wow, that really did happen. And we have short memories as Americans but that really did happen, and that was in 2016. Listen, a couple of points here. What is this? Well, this is Marxism 101. Ignore the Constitution, make up your own rules, and create a pathway to certain tyranny. That's what's taking place here. The Constitution of the United States is clear. We use electors to choose the President of the United States and the Vice President. Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2. Each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature, therefore, may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in the Congress. But no senator or representative or person holding an office or trust or profit under the United States shall be appointed an elector. So they're allowed to, each state appoints electors, the number of electors is going to be equal to the number of senators. It's always two plus the number of representatives to the United States House of Representatives. And that number is determined by the population. We talked about that. And then, brilliantly, 
it says that no senator or representative or person holding an office or trust or profit under the United States shall be appointed an elector. So <laughs> no politician elected to office or somebody tied to government can be an elector. Nope, that is illegal in the United States of America. Brilliant. Uh, that is the system that we have. But if you listen to MSLSD, uh, they want to just throw that out and uh, get you to listen to these uh, left-wing Marxist celebrities and trash the Constitution of the United States of America. Well, moving on to our final piece, uh, let's take a listen to this. Well, this is Hillary Clinton, and she's claiming that the 2016 election was stolen from her. Can you imagine that? Hillary Clinton uh, uh, objecting to the 2016 election results? Did that really happen? Yeah, it really did happen. Former Democrat presidential nominee Hillary Clinton is apparently still not over her 2016 loss to Donald Trump. Wow! Reaction and analysis on the five. Okay, this is May 6, 2019. Let's listen to this. Cut number five. Hillary Clinton apparently still not over her 2016 defeat to President Trump. She's now claiming the election was stolen from her. Watch this. I think it's also critical to understand that as I've been telling candidates who have come to see me, you can run the best campaign, you can even become the nominee, and you can have the election stolen from you. Did Hillary just say the election was stolen from her in 2016? In her mind, does she believe that she won? Oh, no! That's what Jack Smith is saying is the problem with Trump. He's an election denier. Oh, no. Seems like Hillary Clinton is also an election denier. We continue. Name doesn't come up much mm -hmm. on any campaign except for Donald Trump's. Mm -hmm. Lock her up is still mm -hmm. a big popular yeah. line. I believe he knows he's an illegitimate president. He knows. He knows that there were a bunch of different reasons why the election turned out the way it did. And Hillary Clinton? What? She said that President Trump knows he's an illegitimate president? We just heard it. That came out of her own mouth. Huh. How, how is this possible? Hillary Clinton is an election denier. Oh, but you don't see that on the front page of the press. No, you don't. Because they run cover for Hillary Clinton. We continue. I take responsibility for those parts of it that I should, but Jane, it was like applying for a job and getting 66 million letters of uh, recommendation and losing to a corrupt human tornado. And so I know that he knows that this wasn't on the level. Okay, she's not too happy and she's throwing epithets, ad hominem uh, attacks to the person attacks at Trump and that's protected speech. You know, she's a sore loser. I get it. I get it. 
Listen, five presidents have taken office after losing the popular vote. John Quincy Adams, 1824. Rutherford B. Hayes, 1876. Benjamin Harrison, 1888. George W. Bush, 2000. Some of you remember that. Donald J. Trump, 2016. Did Hillary Clinton have more votes in terms of popular vote in 2016 than Trump? Yes. Did George W. Bush have more votes than Al Gore in 2000? No. Gore had more. Al Gore had more votes than George Bush in 2000. But Bush won because he had the sufficient majority number of electoral votes. Donald J. Trump, likewise, in 2016, had less votes in terms of popular vote count. Hillary Clinton had more popular votes. Why? Because she had the big states like California, but she didn't have the electoral vote count to win. So, look, this is nothing new, but if you listen to MSLSD, oh, this is a peculiar system. Oh, we're going to all fall apart. Look, this has happened five times. It happened four times prior to 2016. And this is protected speech for Trump to challenge it. Clinton is still challenging it. Hillary Clinton still disagrees. So it's in Donald Trump's, in President Trump's right to challenge the 2020 election. Of course it is. And now let's take a look at the bigger picture. Last week, if you missed it, I shared the heartwarming and true story of how I was parted from my wallet. And rather miraculously, through the kindness of an anonymous benefactor, was reunited with the same said wallet with all the contents, both intact and untouched. I also took a deeper dive into human nature and altruistic behavior. And if you missed that harrowing tale, you may want to check out last week's episode. Well, this week, I've decided to look fondly back to a wedding that my wife and I attended a few months ago. I've always enjoyed weddings. They signify a new beginning, a new family, and new memories to be made. I especially enjoy attending weddings where the couple is young and in their 20s and neither bride or groom has ever been married before. Two young souls embarking on a new life together as a new unit comprised of man and wife. And yes, we can say that on this program, man and wife. They're willing to face the hardships and the delights of a lifetime together as a couple. Of course, at this point, I could launch off into the statistics of marital divorce and the probabilities and tell you that they have a certain percentage or chance of staying married between the date of the marriage and 20 years in the future or 30 years in the future. But why would I do that? That's the rhetorical equivalent of scraping one's fingers on the chalkboard or stubbing a toe in the dark, and neither are pleasant experiences. So I'm going to commit to you, dear listener, that during this simple discourse, we shall not take an abrupt turn down misery lane. 
Well, having known the couple, I knew a few things. They're both deeply in love with each other. They're both deeply committed to the institution of marriage and children. And they both have a biblical understanding of the notion that marriage is a covenant between three parties, the man, the woman, and God. And finally, that marriage is not a mere civic formality. Having talked to them prior to the big day, it's quite clear that they understand that marriage has existed for thousands of years, and it's something that originated in the mind of God as an institution, and that marriage is intended to be a place, a safe place to nurture the next generation. Marriage and family are concepts that we once thought were so common that the need to define them was considered absurd. Well, such is not the case in today's society. Much of the sociological tectonic shift, well, it began back in the 1960s with the sexual revolution generation. Teens rebelled with slogans of make love, not war, during the terror, which was the Vietnam War. It was destroying a generation of young Americas, and yet somehow America survived. Well, in the aftermath of a prior conflict, the returning veterans from World War II, they became known as the greatest generation, and their children became known as the baby boomers. The 1950s and the baby boom generation signaled what has been described as the happy days by some. What this generation modeled is today referred to as the American dream, a nuclear family with a father, a mother, children, and often a modest home. And that's exactly what you see in the Happy Days TV show. It ran between 1974 and 1984. It was very popular, and if you have never seen it, take a look at the show. I encourage you to look at it. Which brings us back to our newlyweds. Some of you who are listening may be single. Some of you may be newly married, and others perhaps you already have children or even grandchildren. Well, whatever the age bracket you're in or place you are in the timeline of life, marriage is a constant. Yes, there are people who are choosing to be single and those who choose to be single for their entire lives. We understand that. But the majority of people, the majority of the members of society, they choose marriage. One thing that is universal, all human beings have, hold it, parents. Shocker. You may not know both of your parents, but at some point, at some time prior to your birth, two parents were required to make you, you. Well, without further digressing further into the where do babies come from conversation, oh, that would be awkward. I want to now focus on some notable data from the Brookings Institution. In a 2003 study titled Work and Marriage, The Way to End Poverty and Welfare by Isabel Sawhill Ron Haskins, the authors were able to identify three factors that correlated significantly with financial independence and the avoidance of poverty. These three simple factors were noted. You might want to kind of guess Huh, what could those be? Some maybe you're guessing uh, education. Yep, that's one of them. 
Some may be addressing or thinking, uh, race? Nope, that's not one of them. Let's see what they found. Number one, finish a high school degree. Not college, a high school degree. Number two, maintain a committed marital relationship. And three, work full time. Now, turning back to our young couple, they've never been married before. They don't have any children from previous relationships. How do they line up with the three factors that the Brookings Institution discovered? Well, first, they both have completed high school. Second, they're entering into marriage as a life commitment to each other. And third, they're fully employed. And as a fourth point, this is not part of the Brookings study. The two have a strong faith in God and to biblical virtues. This was evident as they read their wedding vows, which each of them wrote to each other. The vows were replete with biblical passages of commitment and fidelity. So what's the bigger picture takeaway here? Well, today there are still young couples that believe in committing to education, marriage, and full-time employment. There are still couples that believe that the precepts of the Bible have relevance in today's confrontive and combative world. And I believe that there's a simple lesson to learn here. If we do things God's way and honor a commitment to the Creator and to our spouse— there will be a greater chance for success. The founders of the United States of America understood this principle when they referred to, quote, the laws of nature and nature's God, unquote, in the Declaration of Independence. So are these factors a three-step formula for guaranteed marital success, guaranteed marital bliss in life? No, this is not a formulaic guarantee for life success. In this world, there will be tribulation, but we need to be of good cheer because in the center of our chaotic and troubled world, there is still such a thing as providence, and that is a comforting thought. Until next time for Narrative Wars, I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons. We the people are sick and tired, so tired.